So welcome along to our Sermon Expanded, our reflections, our thoughts about the last couple of weeks worth of sermons. I wasn't here two Sundays ago, so we're talking now about the um, two weeks ago, middle of October. Uh, I was away on in a pulpit exchange down in Dublin. There was a minister called Reverend Purvis Campbell who's been up with us in Garnerville before who was here to lead our service. Uh, a pulpit exchange, a pulpit swap is essentially what it says in the title. I went down to Dublin to Rathgar, Christchurch in Rathgar, which is in the south side of Dublin, and led the services there, and he came up to Garnerville and led the services here. There is a connection between the two churches purely by people. Um, Purvis's daughter and family come to Garnerville, and we've been down, I've been down uh, twice now to Christchurch and Rathgar. Also, one of the previous ministers who was in Christchurch and Rathgar is in a little club that I'm a part of as well, and so there are familiarities between them all, and, and within the denomination there are many familiarities. There's, what is it, six degrees of separation around the world, and probably one within the Presbyterian Church in Ireland uh, as an island. And so we did this exchange, we did this swap, I went down and there were two services that morning, there was a half nine communion service, which only a small number of people were at, there was, I think there was 10 or 11 of us, where, which it was just like a, a service, and that's a normal service, we sat around the, the choir area at the front of the church, it's a massive church, it's a really nice church in the middle of a little kind of suburb, a little village, obviously at a time Rathgar, which was obviously overtaken by the boom and the suburbanization of Dublin and Dublin's just kind of grown outwards like many cities and just taken over this little village much like here in Belfast if you know like Belmont or Ballyhackamore or any of those places they used to be their own little area which the city has gradually kind of grown out and over and through and so we had this little service at half nine this communion service where we gathered around and sung some hymns. We reflected actually on the passage we talked about and thought about on Isaac, the, the sacrifice of Isaac, and so we reflected upon that. Um, that's another part of a pulpit exchange. It means that you can do something you've done before or something that you're interested in. You're out of the natural rhythm of Garnival in a sense for me and so you can either do something you've done before or do something you're interested in as a one-off or uh, so it, it frees you up a little bit because you're just going along for one Sunday so I decided to do some of the things we've been looking at in Genesis and in this first service that first service at half nine I did the sacrifice of Isaac then in the second service which was um, a lot more people at was using the full body of the church there was a, a little band that was playing there was a, an organist as well there were kids there so there was a kids story much like our service would be each and every Sunday at 11 o'clock uh, this service was at 11 o'clock and so I looked in that one at the, the covenant God's covenant he made with Abraham and what it tells us about God and, and that in a sense is what we're trying to look at in all these passages in Genesis what does it tell us about God what does it tell us about our faith in this God? And what can it tell us about how we are to act and to live in light of that relationship with this God? Purvis, when he came up, was very gracious. He kept on the theme that we have in Garnerville. And that Sunday that he was up, we were looking at the, the big debate, as I titled it, in Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 to 22. 22 to 33 which we're going to look at in this just for a short amount of time I didn't do a lot I didn't do a lot of preparation on it obviously 
because I wasn't doing it. I caught the end of Purvis's sermon on Facebook. There was a problem with the sound that morning, so I couldn't hear it all. So I caught a little bit of it, and we'll reflect that into it, and then we'll move on to think about the next story, which then was about God uh, destroying Sodom and what Lot does within that story. But in this debate, you can read it, you can pause this, read chapter 18, 22 to 33, we have this debate that's, that God, Abraham has with God. And I, I don't even know if debate is the, the right word or the, the right use. Um, in the, the Bible, I'm the ESV that I'm using at the minute, it says Abraham intercedes for Solomon. That might be a more familiar word for us. We have our prayers of intercession every Sunday where we think about others and we look outside of our own lives. We include ourselves in it, of course, because we are connected to those people and through prayer we seek to act on behalf of those people. But we intercede and make sure that during our service there is a time and there are prayers where we look around us to the needs that our community has, to the needs that our land has, to the needs of this island to the needs of Europe and the world and all all of those are, are tied up in our prayers of intercession. And so Abraham intercedes in the same way and maybe this is the first prayer of intercession, this the first debate, this first conversation because prayer is essentially that. Although God isn't present with us as he was in this passage, we believe that he hears, that he cares for our prayers. We believe that he acts, that they don't fall on deaf ears, that he wants to listen to them. And so in the same way, it's this conversation and we are interceding on behalf of others, especially often those who maybe can't take it upon their own lips, who don't want to pray, who are in such turmoil or, or feeling such oppression or injustice that they themselves can't pray. So we pray for them on their behalf as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So Abraham does that. He goes to God and he knows that God, God well, he doesn't know, but God reveals to Abraham what he is going to do. And Abraham draws near to him and says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy it on even if there are 50 people and God says, okay, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole city for their sake. And then Abraham drops the numbers uh, and this conversation goes on and Abraham drops the numbers again. And eventually we get down to where he says, oh, well, suppose there are 10 found there. And God answers, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. There's a couple of things to note within this passage about God and about Abraham. The first would be that Abraham still prays for them, even though he doesn't like what is going on in this city. He has a lot in his mind. He may even have, as the, the commentary, the Montier commentary that we've been using uh, often, he says he's making a desperate bid to save Lot and his family, who by association with Abraham had known blessing and experienced deliverance from captivity. In addition, perhaps there were others in Sodom who could be described as righteous. In his mind's eye, maybe Abraham recalled Sodom's king and his terrified subjects, who he had come to know in the in his rescue campaign, were they also to be indiscriminately obliterated. And so we have Abraham, who probably has people in his mind. He will have known this city. He will have known or may have known all that goes on within this city. And it's described as being a very evil city with all that goes on within it. But yet 
Abraham knew people, especially Lot and his family, maybe even some more, and maybe that's where he starts with the numbers. You might wonder, well, why if he goes to 10, why doesn't he go lower? And we'll answer that question in a minute. But Abraham has people in his mind, and he has people in his mind because this discussion isn't simply about Abraham trying to intercede on behalf of this city. It's not about Abraham trying to get his way. It's not about Abraham trying to say, oh, well, I know better than you, God. It's about Abraham finding out something about God's character. Because remember, Abraham doesn't have the Bible at this stage. He doesn't have much knowledge of God. He has had some of God's promises. He has had some of those realised to him. He is getting to know this God, but he is still trying to find out about his character. And it says again in the commentary, if, if this were the case, that they were all just to be wiped out. Abraham would have difficulty in recognizing, reconciling such a judgment with a righteous God. And it is the agony of this intractable problem that drives him to prayer. If God himself is just, then the foundation of all life's values is pulled from under our feet. Abraham shrinks from contemplating such a collapse of confidence. So this idea that, which we all do at some stage, if God was to go ahead and wipe them out, then we have problem. We have a problem with God's character and what we see. And we still have this nowadays with the people who suffer or maybe good people who have lots of bad things happen to them we have that problem with reconciling events within this world with the character of God and so we have that tension there and Abraham in a sense is is pushing and testing to try and find out well what's God going to do in this case is he going to just unmercifully just wipe everything out or will he in some way show that he is a God of mercy, that to show that he is a God who, who listens and who does and, and who takes into account what we say? There's whole ideas of theology that you can ask in that as well as can we change God's mind? God's mind? Does God change his mind? What is our role then when it comes to prayer? Do we even need to pray if God has already made up his mind? If God knows already, is there a necessity to pray? And so there's all those kind of questions. And often we'll come to the point where we look at this passage and say, well, yes, there is a role for us. If nothing more than to call God to account for his own actions and his own character and also to help us get to know that character more. Because that is essentially what happens here. God God doesn't back down, but God shows his mercy. God shows his character to Abraham. And then it's interesting that the very last verse is that, And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. It's almost like God initiates this conversation and this intercession and he, he seeks it from Abraham. He actually wants to see more of Abraham's character than God. Than Abraham wants to see God's character. God wants to reveal more of himself and see who Abraham is through Abraham's intercession. For these people who didn't know, for these people that he probably disagreed with. And we have to ask the question, well, are we the same? For the people that we don't like, for the people that we might not agree with for people that maybe go against what we do for our enemies, for those who persecute us, would we be the same as Abraham? Would we intercede for them? Would we ask God on their behalf to, to bless them, to spare them? Or do we often seek for vengeance or revenge or God to act in a powerful way against them? 
And so it also reveals our character in the midst of this story and in the midst of our lives. And that's one of the questions that the Purvis was leaving with us. We have to look for the Abraham in ourselves. We have to look for the Abraham in others. We have to look towards the foreigner, towards the other in inverted commas around us and look for the Abraham in ourselves to seek their blessing. Even if they don't deserve it, even if they don't want it, even if they don't know what is going to happen, we have to seek their blessing. Which leads us in a way into the second passage which we looked at last Sunday which was chapter 19 and God destroying Sodom and in it we see somewhat of the the converse of that. We looked at this idea of Abraham, we looked at how he interceded for others, how he looked for the benefit of others and so on Sunday passed there uh, on the 28th we looked at Lot and the story of Sodom, which has often, it's used in certain ways. Uh, and in this especially what the, the men in the village do, it's used in those ways to stand opposed to homosexuality uh, in this case. And we're not going to look at it that way because as we've been going through this story of Genesis, to, to throw that into this passage, uh, I don't think really reflects what this passage is truly trying to say to us and really if we just go back for a second in that debate that Abraham has with God that could have been left out if you have your Bibles and if you want to read and I encourage you to pause this podcast to um, read the passages that we or even read them in advance or if you've heard them on Sunday to read them again but we're told uh, in chapter 18 verse 22, sorry, 21, I will, God says, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come against me. Uh, and that, that's him talking about he's going to go down to Sodom and see if it really is as bad. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Now that could have been all left out. It could have simply said, I will go down to see whether they have done, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. The two men turned from there and went towards Sodom. And when the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and that's the beginning of chapter 19, and so it would fit very nicely as a story that way. It would fit beautifully well uh, and we would miss nothing from that. But this, So this story of Abraham is included for a reason. There's some reason that this little debate is shown to us. And it is, yes, to, to show us about prayer and how we intercede for others and our relationship to God and the character of God. But it's also because it stands in parallel to what we read in chapter 19 about Lot. We have this Abraham who pleads for others. And then in chapter 19, we have Lot, Abraham's nephew, who really only pleads for himself. If you read through that story, he the, the two angels come to him. They tell him all these things that are going to happen. And he presses, um, he tries to change their mind. He debates with these angels to try and find another way. We're told from the very start of that, and this is just going through the passage just to, to show some of that, that Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. That's in verse 1. And the elders of the city normally sat in the gate. They welcomed people and they were the wise. They had the authority of the, the local town or village or city. And so 
when the angels come and see Lot in this position sitting at the gate, that shows something about the authority that he's gained. He's not been there a long time, but already he has found power for himself and authority for himself and a position within this village or town. Uh, we can imagine that it's not a, an overly big place, that it's not a city size, and so it's a, a, a town. But he has found himself control and authority and position within that. He also knows what is going to happen in this city because he doesn't want them to stay in the town square. He knows what it can be like and so presses them strongly and, and makes them enter his house. And so before then, the, the kind of big climax of this uh, well, the first of a couple, I suppose, the men, both young and old, come to the house and surround the and say to Lot, where are these men who came to you last night? Bring them out that we may know them, as it says in inverted commas, and actually the inverted commas are in the ASV or in the NAV says that we might have sex with them. And this is where the homosexuality part comes in and often, uh, and sodomy comes from this term, uh, the term sodomy comes from this passage and often it can be used in that way. But... If we look at it in another way, where if this is about power and control and authority, if Lot thinks he has it, these men are actually saying, well, no, you don't have it. We have it. And if you think about prisons, Louis Theroux did a, some, does some great documentaries in places. He does this about prisons. And sex is used as a control. It doesn't matter whether it's in loving relationships, non-loving relationships, we have laws against rape because rape is about control and power. We see gang rapes, we see this go on in prisons because it's all about a hierarchy, it's all about showing power over someone and to do that in a sexual way is the most degrading of ways. And so I don't believe this is about homosexuality and about a whole towns being homosexuals. I think this is about gang warfare this is about tribalism this is about a group of people trying to show their power and authority over someone and lot wants to to keep his control his power his authority and so he says in verse 9 brothers i beg you don't act so wickedly behold i have two daughters who have yet not yet known any man let me bring them out to you and you can do to them as you please so he's essentially saying I know what you want, I know what you want to do in this case, I know you want to show power and authority, and so let me give up my two virgin daughters, which mean you would hope a lot to him, and do it to them so that you can show you how much power you have, because he wants to retain this for himself. He wants to retain his position, and the... The people say to him, oh, you have become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. I.e., you're trying to mock us. You're trying to, and mean, you're trying to say that we don't have as much power as we want. And so they pressed hard against the door and the angels bring Lot in and strike these men with blindness. And it's the ultimate sign that this is the end for this. We are about to destroy this place because the outcry against them has become so great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. But Lot goes to his son-in-laws who think he's joking. He then gets his wife and two daughters and is told that he must go. But he continues to say, well, don't make me go to this place. If, if Don't make me escape to the hills because the disaster will overtake me and I might die. But there's another city which is near enough to flee in. And it's only a little one. So let me escape there and my life will be saved. Again, he's not thinking about his physical safety. He's thinking about the future, what it will hold. Don't make me go to the hills because I'll be nobody up there. I'll be like one of the 
people who have to survive off the land and the rocks and life will be hard. Whereas, let me go to the city, which is near enough to flee and it's not quite as bad as the hills. And there I'll be able to make something of myself again. I'll be able to do something. And so Lot is all about this self-interest. He's only out for himself. He's only out to, to plead for himself and his cause. It's about his power. It's about his authority. It's about his character. Whereas in the parallel of the previous passage, it was about Abraham and his desire for others. And we even see that in Lot's wife. This obviously was a, a family trait because as she runs from the city, she looks back and she is turned into a pillar of salt in verse 26. So we have this strange story. We have these all these kind of awful, barbaric, Game of Thrones style things that are happening. And we have to ask, well, what does this seek to tell us? Is this... Is this a passage against homosexuality? Or is there something much more and something much greater and much deeper at work here? Is this about a parallel between two choices of the type of person we can become? Do we become like Abraham, who pleads for the other, who looks for blessing for the other, who eventually takes Lot in and protects him once again? Or do we want to become like Lot, who simply only looks out for himself, for his own needs? He wants power and control. He wants to put God in his place, which is much lower than Lot's, because it's all about him. And we see the results of those choices. Because for Abraham, Abraham goes on to be this blessing. Lot goes on to basically just be spared from his life and the disaster doesn't just overthrow him because he is simply protected for him. It's not because of anything he'd done, but he simply escapes the flames of this burning sulfur because the angels have looked after him. So this is a parallel about who we want to become by the choices that we make, by the way that we go about, by the way that we look either at ourselves or at others. Who will we bless? Who will we seek to give of our blessing? What will we do with what we have? And what our motivation will be in the midst of that? We see that Abraham's motivation was for a whole city despite what he could get. And Lot was very much motivated by what he could get. That drove his decisions. That drove all that he did. And so for us... We ask the question, who will we become like? What will we do? How will we go about our life, our giving, our thought, our motivation? How will we go about in our day-to-day? Who will we become like? And so there are some thoughts on our passages as we've expanded a little bit of those. Maybe if you didn't get out on those Sundays to hear them. Um, This Sunday we'll be looking at... Esau and Jacob, the two brothers, um, we we kind of skip through a lot of chapters now. We skip through Isaac, um, Rebecca, Abraham's death. Um, we skip through kind of five or six chapters before we get into 
Isaac and uh, Isaac's two sons, Esau and Jacob. And so if you've got the time, read through those, spend a little bit of time thinking about that, and then we'll reflect on those some again next week. But that was your sermon expanded very quickly of two weeks. So if you've got any questions or queries, simply send them to me or ask me them when you see them. But grace and peace in the interim, my brothers and sisters.